A hyperflat world desires to extract as many simulacra as possible from the database. Hiroki Azuma, Otaku. Visual novels have been quite a thing as of late. They're cost-efficient, relatively easy to make, and they tell stories, sometimes amazingly tear-jerking ones, like the one we'll be discussing later in the episode. Oh, for those who don't know, visual novels, or novel games, are those computer games that resemble a choose-your-own-adventure novel, but with a lot of pictures and minimum gameplay. They have images, texts, branching narratives, and usually a roster of characters to choose from to be your romantic partner. Pretty girls, pretty boys, and so on. A lot of them also offer sexually explicit material as a form of entertainment as a key selling point to these visual novels. Which brings us to the question, how much do we really want the stories these novels offer anyway? You know, compared to those key selling points? Nowadays, many visual novels even come with an auto mode in which you can set the speed or skip the entire story altogether and just get to the juicy parts. Some even have a hands-free mode, which frees the player from any kind of clicks or interactivity or gameplay whatsoever, hence enabling their hands to play with other things. But even in non-pornographic visual novels, or in fact in non-pornographic mass-produced works of entertainment of any kind, How much do we really care about the story per se? Hiroki Azuma, also known as a philosopher of otaku, argues that no, we don't really care about stories anymore, at least not in the way that we used to. The story is no longer the master who dictates whether other products of the same franchise will sell. We care about the stories we read the same way we care about the figurines we collect and the model kits that we build and display in our shelves. Even in the same way, we care about those pins and coffee mugs we buy on festivals. This is not to say that stories don't matter. But it is to say 
that designing good characters and creating good merchandise is just as important as creating good stories. I mean, it's true, isn't it? I am a big fan of Adventure Time, although I can't say I've watched all 200 and so episodes of it. I've watched enough episodes and wasted enough time on the podcast and wiki and fan art communities, have annoyed enough people saying, oh my glob, that I feel pretty confident saying I'm a big fan of the show. I'm quite a fan of Black Rock Shooter because I enjoy the music and absolutely adore the character designs. They make perfect figurines and impressive cosplay material. Although the story itself... Uh, mm, uh. Anyway, so Hiroki Azuma claims that what we consume today are no longer narratives, but the database itself. If you look at the otaku culture at large, there is no overarching narrative that defines them. Unlike, say, the punk movement or the hippies, it's just one big database of dramatic eyes, colorful hair, impossible to wield weapons, recycled European dresses, cat ears, striped panties, and loose socks. Free floating symbols connected only by their relationship to the cultural database, the server of which we have come to identify as contemporary Japan. The visual novel, according to Azuma, provides the exemplary case of both layers coexisting at the same time. The narrative, in the form of each path of the storyline itself telling how the protagonist gets together with a loved one of your choosing, and the database, in which these paths appear as collective items to unlock and discover, alongside screens, images, music maybe. Again, this is not to say that the story is less important than other elements of the novel. My single ultimate favorite visual novel of all time, which we'll talk more about in a bit, I promise, is all about the story. I'm talking, of course, about Katawa Shoujo. If you are at all familiar with visual novels, and unless you've been living under a rock, you've probably heard about the game one way or another. You've probably even played through it. If you haven't, seriously, just pause this podcast right now. And go to katawashoujo.com, that's K-A-T-A-W-A-S-H-O-U-J-O.com, and click on download. There won't be any spoilers in the show, at least nothing too major. But seriously, it's an experience you do not want to miss. You're back? Cool. So, for those who don't know, Katawa Shoujo, literally disability girls, tells the story of Hisao, a high school boy who finds out that he has a heart condition and is therefore sent to a school of people with special needs. There he meets five potential love interests, one of which Hisao will eventually end up in a romantic relationship, or failure thereof, according to the choices of words and actions that you as a player make. A deaf-mute leader of the student council, Shizune Hakamichi, can you tell me what you think? Blind motherly class representative, Lily Sato. Can you see what I see? An orphan 
with a disfigured face, Hanako Ikezawa. Can you face your fears? An avid runner with no legs, Emi Ibaraki. Can you stand up for yourself? And finally, a dreamy painter with no arms, Rin Tesca. Can you seize the day? Just from those words and descriptions, I believe you can glean what you'll be getting from the game. But there are a couple more interesting points to note. I did say that Katoa Shoujo's primary appeal for me were the stories. But they didn't start with the stories. It didn't start with someone having a bright idea to tell the stories of disabled girls. It started with an image. One single image way back in 1997, drawn by artist Raita Honjo on the back page of a completely unrelated doujinshi. One image with the five girls and very basic descriptions. The image circulated online and one full decade later, on one fateful day, someone posted the image in 4chan's anime board with a simple note saying, if this were made into a game, I'd play it. The thread was sticky and gained so much traction, attracting artists, writers and developers from all around the world. A full version of the game was eventually released five years later in 2012. And Raita? He wasn't even involved in the development in any way. In the game, he's simply credited as being the, quote, inspiration. So yeah, a group of people from all around the world, most of whom have never met, took his one image, worked on its idea for five years with no money and no profits, and turned it into a full-fledged visual novel that became such a big hit. It's a story in itself, and yes, it's pretty amazing. So how did this process come into play? About 10 years later, someone translated it and posted it. That's Corporal Crud, the writer for uh, Hanako's Path. I didn't know The fire survivor girl with scars all over her face and body. But then, like, Shizune's name was like Rosa And that's or the hive mind, the writer for Emmy's Path, the runner without legs. Um, we'll hear more from these two writers on their experience working on Katawa Shoujo right after the jump. The database of narrative design needs your help. If you like us, consider donating to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash narrative design. That's patreon.com slash narrative design, all one word. That page is also where I collect all my Patreon pledges, so you won't only be supporting this show, but also essays, comics, and other weird and wonderful things I and my friends make, delivered first to you on your stream on Patreon. Our things will always be free, but I offer perks for those who donate. Read about them on our page, patreon.com slash narrative design. If you don't have the money or the means to donate right now, that's perfectly fine. You can help by giving a review on iTunes. Those things really do help. Also helping, sharing the episodes. If you think we're cool, let everyone know of our attempt at this unveiling 
of the workings of contemporary culture. That would make you cool too. Alright, I'll see you back at the ship in a bit. And thank you for all your support. Welcome back, listeners. Today we're going to be doing something a little different. You see, I managed to interview Corporal Crud and the Hive Mine, but the conversation took way over an hour discussing so many topics. I don't want you to get bored or overwhelmed with things. So I'll be speaking here in the studio, and I'll be playing you snippets of the conversation as we go along. So let's start at the very beginning. Of course, we all know that the game started out with a single image, which I will post in the show notes. On 4chan, way back in 2007, the group's name, Four Leaf Studios, is an homage to 4chan, which has made some people wonder, how can a forum known for its crudeness produce something so beautiful and heartfelt? Having hung out on 4chan myself, I can say that there are actually plenty of beautiful gems on 4chan, but that's beside the point. Because the game didn't actually start on 4chan. Here's Corporal Crud. Yeah, well, this, this is this is one of the great misconceptions, I suppose, about the game is that yes, the thing was posted on 4chan. Yes, there was a sticky, and yes, those first group of four or five people that got super excited about it did learn about it from 4chan. But the majority of the, the devs actually learned about it after it had moved off 4chan and onto the first forums, and then later when we moved onto the second forum. So myself included, there I'd never saw it on 4chan. I only saw it uh, on on the the development forums that had been set up. So yes. Most of the development took place in the forums. But how did the transition happen and how did the team become settled? How did they form and finally settle on things and decide to handle the subject matter the way they did? When it first started, there were a few people that wanted to turn into your... Uh, how, how, would you, how do you put it politely? You know, a, 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 something purely for, for sexual amusement. <laughs> if we keep taking uh, feedback, the project will never... So it was like, well, let's just shut down the sort of suggestions from everybody and decided our like buckle down and try to actually get this off the ground. We need like a central committee to sort of pass judgment on what's going to go and what's not. We would sit and like consider all of these ideas. A lot of people kind of felt for the characters very early on and said, well, no, let's let's do something serious about that. So even before... Um, it, it moved on to the second set of forums. So on the on that first set of forums, the people who were seriously just there for the for the the explicit content kind of faded away. I feel like there was still a lot of bad ideas that got through anyway at that point, and was like, okay, well, we're just gonna if if we don't are just making decisions, then nothing's gonna happen. So uh, we just started making decisions. Um, and yeah, it was, yeah, that decision was made pretty early on that yes, there would be that kind of content, but it would be part of a larger story. It wouldn't just be you know banging around. Uh, or to try to take the uh, try to take the subject matter seriously, or, or at least treat it with some kind of fact. Because um, we wanted to make you know everyone somehow resonated with the the characters there and said, hey, let's let's do something good with this. Let's not just <laughs> let's not just bang it around. I asked Corporal Crud further on the formation of the team and whether people had met before or since the project. It was a bit hard because the, the dev team was spread around the world. Uh, there was about four or five of us from Australia. There was one from Indonesia. 
uh, who else? And there was, there was an Italian, a couple of guys from the UK, a German, uh, three or four people from the US. Um, the Aura was from Finland. Uh, so yeah, this, this, it was a really international team there. The only way to get that to work was we had the forums as kind of a, uh, a repository where you could put permanent stuff. Um, and then there was the IRC channel where the discussions happened and that was kind of a 24 hour free for all. So you guys didn't know each other before? You never met? A few of the people knew each other. I mean, uh, Gabby and we are actually sisters, so they obviously met. Um, a few of the artists had met previously because that was... Um, so I think Cami Fish and Moeki had also met, but none of the writers had met each other. Uh, I only started meeting people the first time I met, I met Surico, and that was... I think it was after I'd left the project, but before it had been released, uh, there was a convention in Melbourne that we were both invited to to speak at, uh, and that was the first time I met someone. But since then, I've tried to meet a few of the other devs, which is good. What about you and Suriko, the writer for Lily's Path? Your story is so intertwined. That we, we got quite lucky in that Suriko, Lily's writer, and I are both, well, at the time, we're both living in Australia, so we're in the same time zone. So we talked a lot. I guess we could probably say we fought a lot. Um, I'm not quite sure if you're aware, but I, I left the project a bit early, so I had done the draft for the Hanako Path, um, and then Surico took it. Act two, it was pretty much as I left it. Act three was the same, and then Act four was, was I think I'd left a bare skeleton. So the the choices and the way the story fell together was was based on what I'd written. But Surico had done a lot of the actual writing. It's a truly global team. So I asked about the review process and how the team fared in that respect. How did they even manage to create different paths with different writers? using the same set of characters living in the same universe and yet still make them all coherent. Bear in mind that most of the writers aren't even in the same time zone. We went through about four different drafts of, of each path. The first path was write what you want to write. I took things on a, on a completely different route to everyone else and everyone did their own thing and it just didn't mesh as an as a overall package. As five individual stories, it probably would have been fine, but... There was no central themes. There was no consistency between the paths. So when we sort of all sat down and read what we'd all written, it's like, well, okay, let's let's review this. Let's get rid of certain parts. Almost all the stories went through in a complete rewrite. Um, so all the original themes and stories were, were just scrapped um, because they didn't work with each other. And they were also, to be honest, pretty childish efforts at writing from all of us, myself included. The first time round, there there was a, a lot of death. There was a lot of blood, um, and you can see how that probably wouldn't fit <laughs> with the motif of the game. Um, so I suppose the first time was me, like I said before, writing a story that I felt like writing. Um, so I just bashed that out, and I, you know, like I said, blood, fighting, guts, good fun, you know, yandere stuff. So the. The first, the first draft of the path did not go anywhere, which was its real problem. There was no conflict in this one. Like, she was very upfront early on the reason, like, as to why she lost her legs and like what that did. Uh, and then it was just like they were running around, I don't know, just walking around town having fun together, and it was real fucking boring because I was working basically without an outline. Uh, which uh, don't ever do is a uh, a bit of advice. Um, like always have some clue as to where you're going, but I had not like sat down and really thought about it. Uh, I was just kind of like, oh, I guess they'll do this now. Um, 
rather than like, okay, this is this is the end goal. Like, we're going to try to build to this conflict, and then this is gonna like it was a very like basic conflict. Was like, Emmy didn't know what she where she wanted to go to college or something. It was but then, real shitty. In that process, you kind of build the character. You say, oh, here are the here are the character traits that that make that work and such and then when we did the sort of first review period everyone would sit around and go well you know this part worked that part worked but this is not going to work um why why would you do this why would you do that why would she do this why would they do that so that that writing in that writing team with the with especially and that includes the you know delta who was the the game technical director and then also input from the artists as well so we kind of went through that process of well what does make sense anything that doesn't make sense we cut out anything that was a character trait we had to basically explain so it was that was that team effort there that that helped get to that character development i really resisted the idea of her being like super emotionally damaged uh because i thought it was kind of cliche and terrible which was part of why there there was no real conflict because like i was just like well i don't want to do this conflict because this seemed like this has been done before and now this has also been done before and uh which makes it kind of ironic that the final version is something 100 percent been done before but uh hopefully in a hopefully in an interesting enough way that like it, that it set it apart i guess but like yeah we did we did have, uh uh there was a lot of like trying to avoid the common pitfalls that this stuff falls into but it, it really wasn't until like that third run at the at the path that everything clicked now i can imagine how difficult that must be especially because I know how it feels like to be collaborating. Sometimes with three people, it's already hard enough. So I wondered how the fights were, what kind of conflicts happened, and how they dealt with it, and how they kept pushing through despite everything. There were a lot of fighting, a lot of arguments and stuff over the direction of the path and whether or not this was the right direction to go and how are you going to end this? Should we end it this way? Should we end it that way? And... I think I think all of the writers um, had rebellion of different levels against that process. I mean, no one wants to hear that what you've written is crap. No one wants to hear that. But of course, with different time zones, different time periods, delays, broken deadlines. We were worried about art. We, we thought we were going to lose another artist, uh, which we actually wound up doing. Uh, we couldn't get art assets done. And, and also just... the fact that everyone's typing on, on IRC and not calling each other, even though we weren't trying to be antagonistic to each other we probably were feeling more feeling more antagonized <laughs> um so it was tough tempers flared quite a bit like i wound up stepping away for like a couple months at one point i can't be just like sitting on chat getting into arguments with our uh, with the rest of the like i'm not getting anything done and what sort of precipitated it was that uh there was a huge blew through uh where i was living and i lost uh like we lost power and so i couldn't be and uh, i couldn't be online uh and i wound up getting a lot more done when i was you know in the chat and i was like well fuck maybe i'll just maybe i'm just gonna stay away and i'll work on this stuff like i said everybody's nerves were like shot and i was over it 
and I was like, look, I can I can either finish this and you guys are going to have to trust me or like we'll just have Cook just Cook do it because he's been working with me anyway, which was the wrong thing to because that caused something of a shitstorm with everybody's like, what are you going to quit? You can't quit. Like, and I was like, no, I'm not quitting. I thought you guys would fire me. I think there were times when we thought this is going to drag on forever, but almost every day there was something, you know, it might not have been a new bit of art or a new scene, but there was a conversation. There was a a decision made. Well, the probably not a decision, but there was progress in each decision. You know, how are we going to do this? How many sprites? all this kind of thing. So there's always conversation going that never meant that the project was stalled. I think you could always feel that there was enough drive between everyone to actually push it through to to completion. There's no collaboration without drama, I suppose. But while some groups are nothing but drama, Foley Studios definitely pulled through and delivered. So after such a gruelling five years, I asked them what they thought of their fame. The famous quote from Delta was, why are we bothering with this? Only 50 people are going to download it. Like, um, I, don't, I don't remember how many downloads we got, like, that within that first period of time. But, like, they crashed the site. And we had to, like, put a link to, like, the, the torrent tracker that had the torrent of the uh, site on the page that said, sorry, the site is down. Because we, so, we had such a huge influx of, of people. It's, um, it's blown. I think everyone is, is surprised um, at, at how popular it is. I mean, I thought it would be more popular than 50 downloads, but I, I'm still surprised at how many people show up. We sold through something like 300 copies um, at Comicet in a couple of hours. Um, that's people who actually showed up, lined up, and wanted to pay for it in Japanese. That's like amazing. It started to show up on Game Facts, like as the most anticipated game. Like it. They had, like, a, a list of anticipated games, and in the run-up to the release, like, showing up on that list. And uh, I think Lee Alexander and uh, uh, Walker uh, at Rock, at Jockin, like, both, of, like, to have these, for me, anyway, these were video game journalists or personalities, whatever you want to call them. Like, they were people that, like, been reading them for years for them to take an interest in thing that we did was pretty wild i know like poor poor john walked and took some heat because he was not a huge fan of the game he was like this is interesting that this happened and like the fact this happened is an interesting thing but i don't care what's in it and he made some criticisms of like of the writing uh, which I thought were, which I thought were criticism, and like he wound up catching a bunch of heat from like fans of the game who like went after him. And I distinctly remember uh, like a thread on our forums that was like, "Well, I've sent John Walker this angry email about this thing he did." And, like this evolved into a bunch of people shitting on rock paper shotgun. I went into the thread and I was like, "Hi guys, uh, I actually think this is." these are fine. Like he's allowed to not like the game. And also like, he's got some points here that are, that I think are valid. Uh, and like, Oh, shut up. You don't know what the devs think. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. So it was such an unexpected success as we all know today. But then I wondered what would have happened if things went differently? What would have happened if Katawa Shoujo were a professional project in the sense that 
What happened if they had money to begin with? What kind of game would it be? Would it still even be a game? A lot of the things were actually inherited from that first image. So the first image uh, actually said, "I would play a game based on this." So instead of being a book, it was always, you know, thought to be a game. And there's a lot of these things that were just assumed throughout the whole process. It's like, well, that's just how it is.、Um, In retrospect, we could have quite easily have changed it, but I think that format just seemed to suit that story and the way the team worked with all the different writers and artists and such working together. We'd always talk about doing、uh, like a completely different setting, and I think if we like if, if we were getting paid, we maybe would have been more willing to shut everything down and just completely scrap everything and redo it. The hive mind struck a very interesting point there. I wonder if all the famous cancelled projects from Mega Man Legends 3 to Silent Hill 5 went through such a phase. I wonder what would have happened if our copyright law weren't so strict, and if anyone could just continue the game, work on it for five years or something. I was so looking forward to them, but I digress. In any case, though, people burn out after some time. Five years, of course, is a very long time, and when you do so with no money. You would eventually have to go back to your quote-unquote real life, your job, etc. But an experience of this scale must have changed them, especially as writers whose stories have profoundly touched others. I asked Corporal Crud and the Hive Mind on what kind of responses they got and what they took away from it. I know we've had some people show up on the forums that were like, "Hey, I live with it. I live with this disability," and like. It's nice to see that a game about disability that's not about disability really. We do get a lot of praise for like for treating the disabled as as regular ass people. So that's always nice to read. I've gotten a few very nice like emails and messages from people who specifically like read Emmy's Path, and there was a guy who told me that essentially he had had a similar attitude、uh, as Emmy and. This changed his life. Now he's, you know, he like called up his girlfriend and apologized for being an asshole or something. The reason I left the project is because my work life got a lot busier, and since then it has got even busier still.、Um, I enjoy what I do for for work. I, you know, I have a good time, but yet I I don't get anyone saying thank you. You've saved my life, or you changed my life from what I do. Day to day,、um, every now and again, I still get an email or a private message or a Twitter message or something from someone saying something along those lines.、Um, so it's kind of a it's kind of a nice reminder that things are things are sometimes worth it. And then there's you know there's a thread on the、uh, forum that it's all people who have decided to start running because they read the Emmy Path,、uh, which I kind of find interesting and 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 kind of weird because I hate running. It's the <laughs> worst. Like don't do it. And from there, the hive mind went off on a very long tangent about running. You see now why I'm doing this in the studio. To relate that to our point earlier, though, I find it very amazing how you could not like something, and yet inspire people to like that very thing. But then again, it wasn't really the hive mind that inspired the fans to start running. It was Emi Ibaraki, and as cliché as this may sound, it's kind of true. Characters that we create, characters that we dream of in collaborations, that we dream into existence, do in a way exist. Out there, in the database, as narratives or otherwise, things we collect to shape our identities. We'll let those thoughts settle in for a while, 
while we bask in just a bit more nostalgia. That was Viosna from the Katawa Shoujo soundtrack. All illustration music from this episode is taken from the Katawa Shoujo Enigmatic Box of Sound, which you can download just like the game on the download page of katawashoujo.com. That's K-A-T-A-W-A-S-H-O-U-J-O.com. What with everything, it's natural that the team isn't really planning to get back together to make a sequel or another visual novel project anytime soon. They did tell me that they have other projects in mind though. Koplar Krud wishes to eventually put out a novel. You can read his other writing projects on his blog, cplcrud.wordpress.com. The Hive Mind has a gaming podcast called Please Do Not Turn Off Your Console, which you can find on turnoffyourconsole.lipsyn.com. Oh, and if you're an artist who likes noir detective fiction like Will Eisner's The Spirit, get in touch with him on Twitter. He has great ideas waiting to be developed. So, let's get back to theory. Hiroki Azuma seems to be of the opinion that today's society, today's postmodern animalistic society, has given up its search for greater meaning altogether. In a way, maybe that's true. If you're an otaku like I was, your quote-unquote sacred place is probably more that corner of your room than a church. That place where you keep your giant monitor surrounded by figurines of war robots and scantily clad females, and a ton of posters of cute girls and boys whose ages and sexualities seem just a little… questionable. It's in that corner that you find identity and construction. Not the church, not the field where you salute the national flag. Those places are instead where you try and find other people who structure their own sacred place the way you do. So, meanings do exist, even if these meanings are now fragmented, digitized, and collected in a larger non-narrative of the database. What's wrong with finding more meaning in visual novels than in schools, in figurines and art books that remind you that other people in the world, 3D or 2D, are going through the same things that you do? Nothing if you ask me. And this is the key to Azuma's insight and why he's one of my favorite thinkers. The postmodern fall of the grand narratives, the lack of the search for a greater meaning, does not need to result in a complete lack of meaning. There's something left after the fall, and it is the database, and we can always install meaningful narratives within it. We can take an image, form communities with members from all over the world, and tell stories that change the lives of others. And why stop there? 
Why not design narratives with a didactic agenda from the very beginning? How do you teach kids? How do they learn? And how do you tell them stories that will generate better human beings? Designing narratives that may bring about much-needed change, say, of gender equality. Girls, they're getting left behind in the areas of science, technology, engineering, and math. And I've been reading all these crazy statistics. And when you have such specific agendas, what are the challenges that come up? For me, the challenge in this project was to find a way to incorporate computer coding into play and into a story. Next time on Narrative Design. Narrative Design is written and produced by me and mixed and edited by CJ Camellia Jonathan, who also makes music for the show. Find out more about her on cjcamjo.com. That's cjcamjoe.com. And more about me on bunny.co. That's P-O-N-N-I dot C-O. We're also on at CJCamJo and at Bonnie07 on Twitter. If you like comics, be sure to check out our Medium magazine, medium.com slash narrative design dash podcast to find show notes and a summary of this episode in comic format. Also, please consider a small monthly donation on patreon.com slash narrative design to help keep this vessel afloat. We really do depend on you. I'm your host, Bonnie Ramatan, and I'll talk to you soon.